You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning, Riverside. Good to see you on this wet, rainy day. I'm always impressed on days like this when I would be tempted to sleep in to see who shows up, because I'm here. Um, I would like to think I would be here nonetheless, but you know I have to be here. You volunteer to be here, so give yourselves a round of applause. Good job. You guys are the best. You're the best. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so good to see you today, and good to be with you. Before I begin this message and our new sermon series. I just want to take a moment and bring you up to speed with just news I heard this morning. Bill and Donna mentioned are helping out their volunteers back there. Uh, You heard about maybe the fire that was in Tarentum this week, a house burned down. That was Bill's sister and her husband's family. And so uh, I just found out about it. I don't know if we're going to be able to do much, but if you would like to help out with that, please see me or talk to Bill. I know they have a GoFundMe page and stuff like that. So Let's see what we can, and let's pray for this couple. Can we do that right now, and then we'll just jump right into the message. Lord, we lift up this, this couple, and Lord, um, we, we pray, God, uh, having lost all the material things that they had. And I know a lot of us think, oh, well, we could do that, but I don't know. That would be a real test of faith. And I know these are Bible-believing, church-going people, Um, And, you know, electricity is a dangerous thing. It can light things up or can burn things down. And Father, we just pray for them that as they now are starting over with their material things, that your people would come around and help them to get a new start and to grieve what maybe have been lost, but realize that in the end, all of us are going to leave it behind. But uh, God, in the meantime, they need a house. They need clothes on their back, food in their stomach. And we just pray, God that you would help provide through your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So, as you can see, we don't have the step forward sign, and we have a kind of a new look up here, because today we're starting our new annual theme. And if you haven't caught the message by now, you're probably blind and maybe a little bit deaf, but it's all in. It's all in. We are talking about going all in. We've been stepping forward. Now are we going to go all in with Jesus? And, and that's what we're going to be talking about. How do we go? Why do, why do we go all in for Jesus? Well, let me just back up for a second and say this. When you really love someone, when, when you want that relationship badly enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to get that relationship or to keep that relationship. I have a friend who uh, worshipped his little sports car, and he worked hard for it in his father's lumber yard when he was in high school, and he saved up his money, and he bought this little Mazda RX-7, a sport convertible, hot uh, red or yellow, I can't remember which color it was, and he took that to Bible college with him. And lo and behold, he fell in love. You know what he did? He sold that car to buy a diamond ring for that girl that he fell in love with. Now, I think he's crazy, but that's true love, right? That's true love. I mean, when you love somebody enough, you're going to gladly make sacrifices for the one that you love. I knew that I was in love when I was just after Teresa and I had gotten together at the end of a 
school year and I'd gone away for the summer to New York City for a summer internship. She lived in Indiana. Back in the day before we had smartphones, we didn't even have dumb phones back then, uh, that there was just, to make a long distance call, CC, you don't understand this. It cost you an arm and a leg to make a long distance call. And I'm staying with people, I'm not gonna use their phone and get, make them get the long distance charges. And uh, you couldn't text, you couldn't email. So, and I wasn't a writer. I, I really, I, I mean, I think I can write, but I wasn't a writer back then. And, and I wrote her a letter every single day that I was there that summer. Isn't that true love? Is that true love, huh? Yeah. What a sacrifice. <laughs> Did you ever get those letters? Yeah. <laughs> So anyhow, when you're in love, you're going to do whatever it takes to communicate that love. Uh, king Edward VIII, you probably know this story, he couldn't remain king with her, and he couldn't live without her. So in 1936, the King of England, the Empire of England, with commonwealths all around the world, said, I'm going to walk away from that because I'm in love with this divorcee from New York City, Wallace Simpson. I mean, the fact that her name was Wallace, I can't imagine that to begin with. But, you know, he, he did that. He walked away. He abdicated the throne because he was so in love. And so, and so anyone who goes all in for a person like that, you know they're in love. Jesus used a couple of parables one time to talk about that. He said that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when somebody sees, finds that treasure, they sell everything they have so that they could buy that treasure, buy the field with that treasure. And then he goes on and say, it's like a merchant who found the perfect pearl and he sold everything he had to be able to purchase that pearl. Now, when I look at those parables, I'm often thinking about, well, that's, that's how valuable the kingdom of God is for us, and we should sell everything we have, be willing to give up everything for the kingdom of God. And yes, I'm sure that's the primary point of that. But what if part of Jesus meant there, another way to look at that is, what if you're the treasure in the field? What if you were that pearl of great price? And maybe Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is the price that God is willing to pay in order for you to be a part of him. How far would God go to gain your love? How far would God go to win your love? This morning, that's what I want you to ponder. I want you to ponder the life-transforming realization that Jesus has gone all in for you. All in. All in. So our annual theme is that, all in, and, and the theme verse for the, for the season, for the year, is the, the, the passage that's in Deuteronomy, that's repeated in every of the three gospels, the three synoptic gospels, and it's love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. So the question I ask is why? Why should I love God with all that I have? Why should I go all in for God? And the answer is simply this. Everything we do by faith and everything we do for faith, for the cause of faith, is completely in response 
to what God has first done for us. We are all in because he first went all in for us. And since Jesus has gone all in for me, I don't know about you, but I'm all in for him. I'm all in for Jesus. So the Apostle Paul was one who was captured by the love of God, and then he was compelled to communicate that to a culture that had turned religion into a guilt-ridden, guilt-inducing, socially divisive, loveless list of rituals and rules for people to obey. Bad religion, manipulating people, creating fear in people, religion that divides, religion that points fingers. This is what the kind of religion that, that Jesus came and, and spoke about and spoke against. And then, but that's the kind of religion that, that Saul was brought up in, and he was all about that. That's why he was, the, he was going about killing these followers of Jesus until God got a hold of him and turned him completely upside down, and then he went all in for Jesus. Paul's compelling message is that people are justified, completely forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, by nothing less and nothing more. And that they're, they're, we're made right, we're sanctified, we're made holy, not by legalistic works, but by obedience that comes from faith in what God has done for us what God has done in us and through us by the grace and the power of Christ. That's what Paul's message was all about. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And I think that we believers, the older we get, maybe and the longer we become believers, we tend to become feeling quite satisfied with ourselves. And the temptation is to say, well, if you really want to be spiritual, you need to do the things that I'm doing. And then we start putting and imposing those things on others. And that's what Paul was writing about when he wrote the letter to the Galatians. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, please. Galatians. We're going to look at a passage in chapter 4, and we're going to look at some other passages also around that. But Galatians chapter 4, Paul here, <clears throat> and if you're following along, use... Your, uh, your Riverside app. I forgot to mention that. If you've not downloaded the Riverside app yet, you've got to do it. And uh, the notes are in there. Fill in the blanks. You can keep those, save those, and uh, hopefully it'll last more than um, after lunch today, what I tell you, okay? So here we go. Paul writing to this church called the Galatians. Galatia was a group of church. It was an area in what then was called Asia Minor, but today it's modern-day Turkey. Paul's writing to straighten them out because they started to get confused about the good news that he preached to them when he established the churches there. You see, what happened, some others came along, and we've talked about this recently, and they said to these people, well, you know, to really be a part of God's family, then you either need to become Jewish or you need to act Jewish. You have to obey all the Hebrew scripture laws and then you'll be okay if you're good enough at it. And so they, they took the grace of God and they set it aside and they started to impose the same bad religion on these believers that Paul came to eradicate and Jesus came to eradicate. So let me begin with the last part of chapter three as we follow along here. I wanna, I wanna just take us through these scriptures here this morning. 
But, but chapter four is where I want to hone in, but it really begins at the end of chapter three, this thought that I want to bring to you this morning. Paul writes to them and he says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. And there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, conservative or liberal. Oh no, that's not in there, sorry. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I want you to pause and look at those words for just a few minutes and let that sink in if you would. Notice the emphasis on all. All are children of God, how? Through faith in Jesus. All have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Now it's no longer I, Paul says in chapter two of this letter, who lives but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the one who gave himself for me. That's what it means to be a believer. All are equal and all are connected as one in Christ. Out of all of our diverse backgrounds, whatever religious upbringing, whatever nationality, whatever social standing, whatever gender, whenever we come to Christ, we are all one in Christ. We're all together in Christ. The motto of our nation is what? Hyperbolus uno. Out of the many, we are one nation. And really, that could be the motto of Christianity, right? Out of the many different directions, out of the many different backgrounds, out of the many different ways that we view things, out of the many perspectives that people have, the way that many upbringings and thoughts and ideas that people have, when we come to Christ, we are one family, one family. We are in this together. Since Christ has gone in for us, we are all in this together. We are in Christ together. We are together, and I think the implications of that, I could just camp out on this passage all morning and never go further, but let me please go further. So Paul goes on to explain how God has gone all in to fully adopt us and adopt you and me as his children. I love the metaphor, and it's so, so rich. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his, 
God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father, Papa God. You are now no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. The incredible reality of our adoption, our redemption, it speaks to how God has gone all out for us in three ways that I want to talk to you about. First of all, your adoption tells me this. It tells me that Jesus has gone all in, number one, to rescue you. He went all in to rescue you. And you say, well, I don't know if I needed rescued. Many of you know that many children who were adopted are really being rescued from difficult circumstances. I was talking with David Kennard this week. He's preaching right now as I speak up at the mills. And he's telling the story of his younger sister who was abandoned at the police station. I believe it was in Seoul, Korea. She's Korean. I think it was Seoul. When she was just an infant. Larry and Leona ended up adopting her. She was rescued from a parentless situation. Many children are adopted out of foster care and they were put into foster care because they have parents that were incapable or unable of caring for them. And so they adopt them out of a foster care situation. And several of you here have done that. And it is hard. It is difficult. But you do that because you love. You've done that for so many people. And another word for adoption is redemption. Redemption always involves a rescue. Scripture uses a lot of words to describe our condition before we were rescued, before we were redeemed. One of the ways it says is that we were rescued out of darkness. Earlier on in chapter 1, or later on in Colossians, it says that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What does it mean to be in darkness? In darkness, you can't see. In darkness, you can't move forward. In darkness, you're full of fear. In darkness, you're lost. You're confused. You're forgotten. You're alone. You're in the dark. You don't know exactly where you are. You don't know where you're going. Have you ever been in the dark, spiritually speaking? You don't know who, sh you don't know who God is, where God is. You don't know who you are in relationship to God. You don't know your place in this world. You're in darkness. Maybe you're in a place of darkness right now. I want you to know that Jesus came to rescue you out of darkness. Not only did he come to rescue us, he came to rescue us from our guilt. Earlier in Galatians, it says that he redeemed us from the curse of the law. And he talks about, actually, Galatians is all about the law versus grace. Now, God gave the law, and it was intended for our good, and the law in and of itself is good. It is a guide. It is there to point us in the right direction. But the problem comes when we take the law, and we try to use it to prove how good we are. We try to use it to establish our own goodness, or our own righteousness, and we try to use the law to work our way to God. So much of religion is is teaching people how they have to work their way in order to be accepted and loved by God. And I don't know about you, but that's sort of, even being raised in Christianity, that's kind of the idea I got. 
you know, good little boys go to heaven, bad little boys don't. And so, you know, it's used to manipulate you. It's, it's propaganda to get you to be a good person. And the law is used that way. But then you know you sin. You make mistakes. You feel guilty. What do I do now? Am I going to heaven? Am I not going to heaven? Am I right with God? Am I wrong with God? And so we live this, this whole life of trying to be good enough but get away with enough so that we feel self-righteous enough. And then this whole self-righteousness takes over and we judge other people on our own self-righteousness. And then we become divisive and point fingers. Do you see how... how, how how, how, how divisive, how, how, how dastardly that thinking becomes. It's so subtle and it looks so good on the surface, but it just creeps in and it divides and destroys. The law was intended for good, but when the law becomes a curse, it's always driving us to try harder. And because we can't keep the law, we're always messing up and then we give up and then we just give in to our lusts and our pleasures. We need to be rescued from that bondage to guilt and shame. And we need to be rescued from, from ourselves, frankly, from spiritual death. Ephesians says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. You follow the ways of the world, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. But God, who is rich in mercy, I love that, made us alive with Christ even when, even though we were dead in our transgressions. We need to be rescued from ourselves and it's not the law that can save us, but it's only the love and grace and mercy of God that rescues us. It's only God adopting us and taking us out of that place and bringing us to a better place that we can understand who we really are and what potential God has given to us and how we can rise up to our best selves. And then we need to be rescued from emptiness. Peter says, you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And you know what? I think emptiness is probably a great word to describe how a lot of people feel today. I, I mean that. We have more stuff, more entertainment, more information, more comfort, more technology at our fingertips than ever before, and yet people feel more empty than ever before. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that the suicide rate, according to the CDC, has gone up 24% in the last 15 years? Why is it? Why is it that in rural areas, it's epidemic? Every state in the country except Utah has seen a rise in the suicide rate. Why is that? With all that we have, and the economy is booming, everybody is doing better, right? But there's an emptiness inside of us. And no amount of stuff and no amount of entertainment and no amount of smartphones or technology or Facebook friends you have is going to take care of that emptiness. Only one can do that. And that's the one who knows you best, who loves you most. And he wants to adopt you as his child. He wants you to come into the family. He wants you to know that he knows all about you and he loves you. 
And he wants to rescue you from that empty way of life. The good news is, Jesus has gone all in to rescue you. He's come to rescue you from darkness, guilt, emptiness, and yes, even yourself. Adoption not only involves rescue, it also includes a ransom. Jesus has gone all in to ransom you. The scripture said at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom, to buy freedom. That's what ransom's about, buying freedom. A slave is being ransomed so that that slave can now be free. Somebody is purchasing that slave so that slave can have freedom. That's what ransom is, who were slaves to the law so they could adopt us as his very own children. And there's a price to pay for your rescue, for your ransom, for your adoption. Earlier on, I read the chat verse earlier, Christ rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The only way for Christ to release us from the burden of the law is to fulfill the law perfectly. Because we never could. Not only did he fill the law perfectly, he needed to do that, he needed to suffer the penalty for those who failed to keep the law. So that we don't have to suffer the penalty. That's what this substitutionary atonement doctrine is all about. That's a big word, but that's what Christ did for you and me. Peter said it this way, that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with just gold or silver, which lose their value, but it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus himself put it this way, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. How far would God go in to win your love? How far would God go to keep your love? Ponder that. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission to ransom us from bondage, from slavery, from emptiness, from ourselves, to purchase our freedom, to release us. He had to complete the mission. The mission was he had to live a faultless, sinless life. The mission was that he needed to be falsely accused, that he needed to be unjustly murdered. And in that injustice, the righteous one who had no injustice became sin, became the penalty of sin so that we who are sinners might have this divine exchange and it's beyond my comprehension. It is a mystery to me. Don't know exactly how or why it did it, but somehow God was able to say, I will take your sin. Here, take my righteousness. It's yours. You're my child. I give it all to you. Jesus was sent on a mission, but the mission had to cost him his life. 
How far would God go for you? How far in would God go for you? Do you have any doubt? Do you have any question as to the love of God for you? He's gone all in for you. He's gone all in for you. The good news is he came to rescue you and ransom you. But here's the thing, and I don't want to end there because, you know, when, when a person adopts a child, the adoption doesn't end when the legal papers are signed and they're filed at the courthouse. That's just the beginning of adoption, right? It's a lifetime. It is a lifetime of taking this person that was in a tough situation, that was parentless, that might have been suffering, that might have difficulties, and then bringing that little child, if it's a child, and raising that child up into full adulthood to be able to get out on their own and live a life, be healthy and whole. That's what adoption is all about because it's all about restoring them to perfect adulthood, to functioning adulthood. Jesus has gone all in to restore you, to make you whole. The goal of redemption is to recover what's been lost, to restore what's been ruined, and to redeem, return what's been taken captive. It wasn't, he didn't didn't rescue us, he didn't ransom us so that we could just go on messing up our lives and living apart from him. He went all in for you to set you free from bondage. He went all in for you to give you the privileges of being a child of God. The metaphor that Paul uses to the Galatians is if a child is a child, they're still like a slave until they become adult because they don't have everything the parent owns. And if a parent were to leave or pass away untimely, the court or somebody, if they hadn't done it in their will, would set up a trust for that child so when that child was old enough and mature enough, they could have the trust and they could use it as they deem fit. The fact of the matter is, when you're redeemed by God, God has put his trust in you. You have all the riches of God for you, all the blessings that were intended for Abraham. When God said, Abraham, I will bless you. Look at the land. Look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand in the shore. You see all of it? It's going to be your family. It's going to be your descendants. All that I have, I'm giving to you so that you will be blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations. And that's how it goes. And we are a part of that blessing now. It is our inheritance. It is ours from God. Do you feel better? Do you feel richer? Do you feel whole? Do you feel restored? God has given and entrusted you with all that he has. Now it's your responsibility to live with in a way that brings joy and pleasure to the one who entrusted you with that. It's not about a soul-sapping, rule-obeying, guilt-laden religion. It's about a life-giving, freedom-motivated relationship with God. Therefore, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And that's just the Aramaic for Papa. We can be like children. Oh, I love you, God. Papa, God. As a child, we want to please our heavenly parent. We no longer have to be good we get to be good. What a difference that is. 
What a difference that is. We get to be responsible with the blessings, the mercy, the grace of God. And so because Jesus has gone all in for you and me, I get to be all in for him. I don't have to be all in. I get to be all in for God. When we've been redeemed, we're set free to say yes to Jesus and no to greed. We're free to say yes to Jesus and no to, to, to pride and to jealousy and to anger and lust. We're set free to, to let go of our bitterness and our hatred and our anger and our prejudice and our resentments. We're set free to say yes to beauty and joy and goodness and God's purposes in our lives. Jesus is all in for you. And now, we get to be all in for him. I said I wanted you to ponder that life-transforming realization that he's gone all in for you. And in, in light of that, I guess my, my, my question is simply this. What's your response? Because everything we do is in response to that. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.